Welcome to episode 64 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast featuring conversations in Canadian theatre. On the podcast, I sit down with actors, directors, playwrights, and more, and talk to them about their life in the theatre. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Google Music or whatever podcast app you use. And if you really like the podcast, please think about leaving a comment or rating. Those things really help spread the word about Stageworthy. If you want to drop me a line, you can find Stageworthy on Facebook and Twitter at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website at StageworthyPodcast.com. My guest is Dana Fradkin. She's an actor, comedian, writer, and teacher based in Toronto. One of the things that I like about, about doing this podcast is that I get to ask people about things that uh, actors don't often ask each other about. Great. So I'm going to start with um, when you knew that theater was something you wanted to do. Oh, that's a very good question. It sort of came in uh, parts. I think when I was in grade seven, I just moved to a new school and uh, they were very mean. I'd moved from the east side of Ottawa to the west side and they were very mean and I got my planner stolen it said Dana's a bitch on it and I got really low grades in grade seven and I remember feeling did really you just did you go from a bad neighborhood to like from a good neighborhood to a bad neighborhood no no you were the new girl and I was a new girl I went right. and and I'm not going to just any sort of race but I went from the French area of Ottawa which is East End Orleans to Nepean which is a very Jewish uh, and very, it's very clicky. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, these people did eventually become my friends. But when I first moved, they're not that open. It's to... always hard to be the new kid in school, especially, especially in grade seven. Like I found, like if you start right at the beginning, you're okay. You can be okay yeah. a little bit. But if you come in like even a week, two weeks later, uh, yeah. And fuck. just that time of year, that time in a kid's life, they're mm. so in their own world. Right. So um, they're not embracing new people. So I had a horrible year I was doing awful things to myself um and yeah when I got my planner stolen and found in my desk a week later and like this is the first week of school and said Dana's a bitch on every page I just went oh my god what am I gonna do and I sort of knew very early on that I could not go to high school with these people mm-hmm. and so I was searching for what I could do and I couldn't go to Catholic school because I was Jewish and there weren't very many other options and someone talked about a high school performing arts and I went oh yeah Mom, Dad, I want to go to high school performing arts. So then we... Did you even know what the performing arts were at that point? Well, I was dancing. Okay, okay. Yeah, okay. I was, you know, going to jazz class and... Had you been dancing for... uh... I had been in dance class since I was like a tiny kid in ballet. And then I got more interested in jazz. So it was part of a jazz class, but not competitively or anything. But just, you know, one one or two classes a week, maybe. Um, My sister danced a lot, too. So I sort of had an understanding. And then we, my parents and I looked up going to this school and we realized... You had to have at least a B average. Okay. And that I did not have. I was having like Ds. So in grade eight, I like totally changed my focus and, and really tried to get into the school. And I auditioned for dance and drama. I uh, like learned all these monologues. And then, of course, my grades went way up. And then, of course, I was accepted at school because right. it's yeah. the typical thing, of right? Course. As soon as I was not wanting to be part of any gang and focused, everyone thought I was cool. And by the end, I was like, I actually really like these people at the end of grade eight. But anyway, I went to uh, Canterbury. um, And somewhere in there, 
I wasn't one of the core, like, oh, these are going to be the head, these are going to be the drama kids yeah. that are going to, like, Martin Garrow, who now writes with Blindspot, Matt Edison, like, these were, like, the kings of drama. Of course, yeah. And uh, my class had them, too, and I wasn't one of them, but I wanted to be like them. And so I think it, it just sort of became sort of a goal to just be part of the gang that where drama and theater was going to be what you just kept doing, and... Mm-hmm. I, I don't even know if I had that click moment, but when we were starting to look at auditioning for theater schools, it was like not even a, it wasn't even a second idea. There was nothing else I could go to school for. Mm-hmm. And I don't know where that, it must have happened sometime in grade 11. It wasn't even an epiphany moment. It just kind of was like, well, there's nothing else I could go to school for. But with so it heart. Like, it was like, it was like, there's sure there were things you could do, but there was nothing that you really wanted to do. Yeah. yeah. And it just, it was, it was just my heart. It just felt right. It was like, this is what I'm supposed to do. There was no sort of like, should I go into drama or should I go into math? It just kind of was like, no, I, and yeah. Do you remember what it was, aside from, from wanting to hang with the cool kids, do you remember what it was that, that was driving you at that point? Was there something, did you do a show where it clicked? There was a show that I clicked, actually, in grade 11, because I wasn't getting into the big shows. But in grade 11, I got a Commedia dell'arte show. I auditioned. Canterbury was doing their own fringe festival. Right. It was the first time, and some people in my year were, like, creating this big fringe and a bunch of plays. And I auditioned for Arlecchino in a Commedia play that my friend wrote. And I got the lead. I got Arlecchino. And it was my first time sort of really getting something. And, mm-hmm. and the director and... Uh, stage manager were like really excited about me and it, it, I don't know it felt really good I think there were a couple things I started to do that I was like oh my gosh people are laughing so much this is such a unique trait mm-hmm. that I sort of have and that's when I sort of went okay but it wasn't yeah. easy but it yeah that's what I wanted to do and then when you started looking at theater schools did you which ones were you looking at at the time I think I really wanted NTS, like every other kid. Yeah. Um, I'd gone into Concordia. Me, Sam, and Anna, two of my other really good friends, all auditioned for Concordia. We were all in the same audition. All three of us got in. And uh, I wanted, but I, I, two, three people from the year ahead of me at Canterbury went to George Brown. So that seemed to be... Uh, the, the place to go and I was on the waiting list at George Brown but I got off the waiting list two weeks before theater school and mm-hmm. at that point I, I was like there's no question I'm dropping out of Concordia yeah. I'm going to George Brown and that felt like a real calling well I mean you know, <laughs> at I, the time you, you, you and I are going to talk a little bit about, about that because I think that we had uh, similar experiences at, at George Brown yeah it was um, not great <laughs> Sorry. No, no, no. I mean, yeah. just to just to you know, we're 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 telegraphing. Spoilers, you guys. <laughs> Some stuff happened. Um, <laughs> but in terms of, do you remember what it was about the George Brown program when you were hearing about it that made you want to go? It sounded like the NTS of Toronto. Mm. That was sort of what it was being plugged at at right. my school, and uh, I don't know why I thought at the time it was really cool if it wasn't a university. Because um, at the, t- you know, I auditioned for Ryerson. Oh, no, I, I skipped my Ryerson audition because I'd already gotten into Concordia. And I just went, for me, I was like, well, if I got into Concordia, I don't need to go into mm-hmm. Ryerson. But um, there was something even cooler about a conservatory program opposed to a university. I think I'd heard people say 
you know, if you want to be like a Stratford actor, then you want to go to the conservatory programs. Right. And at the time, I thought I wanted to be a Stratford actor, right. which is what George Brown sort of which is what shapes we, I mean, you. we all thought we yeah. wanted to be Stratford actors. Well, I thought I wanted to be a movie star, really. Well, I mean, technically, a lot of people did. <laughs> Still want do. To do you know, those people want to do that. Yeah. But um, for me, I mean, I auditioned for George Brown and I auditioned for Ryerson. Yeah. And I got into Ryerson. <clears throat> and I think I went to the George Brown audition knowing I'd gotten into Ryerson. Yeah. Um, but... I chose George Brown because of people were like talking about the program and the business of acting class. I was like, oh, so this course is going to tell us about like how the business works. And I know the business <laughs> acting course for a while there was a little bit of weird and frustrating, but at least it was there. Because, you know, I talked to a bunch of people for this podcast who went to university and they get out of university and, they didn't and they're get like, it. I don't even know what age it is yeah 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 or how to get one and i think one of the things that attracted me to any of those ones is something because i got into york and alberta too but i didn't like the idea of doing a year of a regular program before having to audition to get into there i hated that about i hated the idea of like york letting you in and then they would decide where you belonged yeah i didn't like that i didn't want that i didn't want that pressure on me if i was going to get into already a focused program and, mm-hmm. and uh, George Brown just... I hadn't heard about the Business of Acting program. Oh, yeah? Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I took it, but I, uh, hadn't, I didn't it. know it was a it was a thing, yeah. Um, so then you, you got it. What was... The, I mean, in terms of... Aside from some of the stuff that happened later on, when you started at George Brown, what was the, the biggest shock to you? Like the very beginning? Yeah, like right at the beginning, what surprised you the most? Um, I actually... The first... Three weeks at George Brown were, were some of the best. I mean, I guess I was surprised when, when you show up the first day and you have to do a monologue for the all three years. I see. I didn't know about that. I yeah, started like that did they, terrify the, me. There, there's like a, a, a letter that went out that I didn't get, so I showed up and I didn't know about this. So anyway, but go on. Yeah, I I can't remember if I knew. I must have gotten that letter. I did, but I. That was really freaky, mm. really, really freaky to be there. But then it was it, like scary because when you're in your first year and you have to go up and do a thing, and you know that ev- all the other students, including your own classmates, are all judging the shit out of you. Yeah, judging <clears throat> the shit. And then the first play, and um, you just sort of get thrown in, you know, head first. And right away, you're doing a play that you put up in two a week, two yeah, weeks. What like is it? Week yeah. yeah, it's great, but it. it um, and then you immediately get followed up with, with someone telling you what they think of you as an actor. Yeah. And so it was whirlwind. And you're also trying to make all these brand new friends. Yeah. And you're there six days a week. And um, But I remember my first chat with Peter Wilde at that time was actually really positive mm. after that show. I was feeling really good for about three mm-hmm. weeks. Oh, <laughs> I had... Uh, I, I learned in those first three weeks that I was apparently a shit actor. So... Um, that came later. <laughs> that was that. That was like my first conversation with Peter Wilde. Was it was like, uh, well, that was shit, and you have a lot of tricks, and you have to un- unlearn them. And I wish I was a little bit older than I was because I was like eighteen. Me and so too. of course I was like, "Fuck you! I have to unlearn them. Fuck you! I have tricks. I don't know. Sh- you don't know shit." But you know, there's there's also a part of me that wishes I had more of that. Mm. 
Because you're either one of those two people. You're like the really stubborn 19-year-old that's like, I know I everything. Was fucking stubborn. Or you're the other one that's like, oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, beaten no, down. I yeah, was, opposed to being able to like... Well, I got there. I got there. <laughs> but, I mean, at first it was like... I was like, no, you don't know fucking shit. And then um, that changes really quickly when... Because he's the teacher, right? You yeah. Start to, you start to... His opinion matters. And I spent... You know, jumping ahead, I spent like so many years after theater school still trying to impress Peter Wilde oh, in my brain. And now he do. Yeah. Now he loves you. Now he loves me. I know. Me too. So when it only took, took it only took years. like 30, 10, 20, 30 years, years. But now know. I'm on top of the fucking world. <laughs> but anyway, so for you, um, yeah. So you had a really positive conversation at first. The first conversation okay. was very positive. And then what happened? So by Christmas. It wasn't a great conversation. <laughs> it wasn't horrible. It wasn't a D like Amber got. Mm. It was a C. You know, it was like, no, we think you have more work to do. Mm. And then, like, uh, you know, obviously, before we can get into it, like, that Christmas changed my life. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Seriously. We're going to, yeah, we'll we get should, to I it. I think we need to get into it. Yeah, right. So then that Christmas holiday in first year, my father had a heart attack and died in those two weeks. Mm-hmm. And so, I had to miss the first week back to school in mm-hmm. January, um, sitting Shiva. And when I came back, that's when, you know, the school became horrendous. Mm. And uh, Paul Lampert, I don't know, do you like being name dropped? It's probably... Yeah, I, I, sure, I, I, I like, I like, I like he, Paul now. He was a guy, of course. He was a guy. But at yeah. the time, he came up to me and he said... Um, I'm really sorry to hear about your dad. If you miss another day, you're out. And actually, now that I remember that moment, that's one of the first things that scared me. Mm. In the first, somewhere in the first day when they said you can miss two days all year mm-hmm. or you're out. Mm-hmm. Or you need a doctor's appointment. I mean, right. these, these sort of rules. And I missed a week for Shiva and they gave it off. But just sort of the sense as soon as I came back that it's like, okay, you've cashed in all yeah. your favors. You know, and mm-hmm. it's kind of like, Okay, I'm 19. Yeah, a professional yeah, yeah. theater company would probably be nicer to me about this yeah. than you guys are. Yeah. Um, and when a Shaw in scene study was no nicer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so things became very, and gra- very difficult mm. from that point forward. Um, I wasn't in the greatest state. But of you, I mean, of course, you weren't in, in a great spot. Yeah. I guess the so when you had started the holidays, you had your first interview. You came out feeling positive. Pretty positive. Like, I was like, okay, I'm not one of the favorites. By then, you started to see who the favorites was. I'm not one of the favorites. Mm -hmm. But they believe I have... There's work that needs to be due. I have my blocks Mm -hmm. and all of that. But I'm a good student. We'll work together. Yeah. We'll make it happen. And then, from that point on, I mean, obviously, you were in not a great place. But from that point on, it was sort of a struggle to stay in school the whole time? Or was it like... Yeah, I got a lot of, you should leave. You can't mm. handle this. You should leave. Mm. You should. Now, just playing devil's advocate, like backing up a little bit. Should I have left? Do you think, do you think at the time, I mean, this could have been like you're 19 years old. You just lost your dad. Yeah. That, that you know, this is like you stubbornly hanging on. Do you think you should have? Well, if the you know, no, like, no, I can leave now. Can I, and I can, can come I come back, back if I heal yeah. in a year? And they did. I think they did give me that yeah. offer. Um, it's, I'm still not sure. When I think back to the state of mind I was in at that time, I can't imagine not having somewhere to put my focus. Yeah. So had I dropped out, I'm not quite sure what I would have done with mm-hmm. myself. Yeah. 
to get a job at a restaurant, I think would have been like I did for the summer yeah, yeah, was yeah, horrible, yeah. you know, and the school gave me a reason to get up in the morning. It yeah. gave me, but at the same time, I was unable to absorb what I was learning. And, mm-hmm. and Leslie French had told me that my hands and feet were colder than anyone she'd ever touched. Mm-hmm. Like I was yeah. so physically blocked yeah. that my hands and feet were coming out like icicles. So I wasn't, you know, in retrospect, as an actor, I didn't absorb what I should have at school because right. I was so emotionally blocked. But it's my state of mind. Yeah, of I, course. I had no idea what else I could have possibly done for no. myself at that yeah. time. They're like, leave. I'm like, do what? Yeah. You know, yeah. and the industry is very different now. I mean, I think you can leave and there's a crap load more classes than there were back in 2000. Yes. You know, there's, or 99, that was 99. There's a lot more people just popping things up, mm-hmm. doing shows, you know, everything has grown. Yeah. There's a lot more of the indie scene than there was when I was in theater school, yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. And, of course, it's an accepted part now. I mean, when I was, I don't know, when you were in theater school, if Fringe was a thing that people, like... Barely. Yeah, for Barely. me, for me, I felt like Fringe was like, oh, if you can't do something somewhere else, you can put up a little Fringe show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now it's, like, I remember the cornerstone of, like... Indie, 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 and everyone indie. does yeah. it from from our you know some of yeah. our top artists to yeah. our most indie artists yeah. like but so it, it now would have been a different time but at the time oh yeah so i mean and from that point on you're spending the rest of so you're spending a half year and then two yeah. fo- two other years like just hanging on by your fingernails. Well, like, yeah, because I had another awful thing happen oh, in the no, no, second no, no. year. Oh, fuck, Did you do you no, not no, no, actually know this? Really, I probably don't know about this. Oh, no. so in second I year. Know your dad. Oh, in second year during reading week, I had a boyfriend that I'd met that summer. I went back to Ottawa. I'm sure I've told you this. And uh, my boyfriend tried to kill himself, stabbed a knife through his heart, and I found him. Okay. So that was in reading week and second week. I feel like I don't know that. You didn't know no. that. That's like. One of the most traumatic, yeah. visually traumatic things I'd ever seen because it was a pretty gruesome yeah. sight with a butcher knife. So um, that, uh, I got me really messed up. Oh, yeah, yeah. So when I came back from second year, I, uh, I was living with these two roommates and I told them they had to hide every knife in the, in the house and I was getting, like I couldn't look at a knife. Right. It like totally freaked me out and, and I got really wacko and... Um, I couldn't sleep. I was on, I was trying all these different sleeping pills. Like I had really gotten in a sort of a mess. One of the girls in the class called me a burden on her life at the end of second year. Yeah, yeah, it just got worse. <laughs> I know. So, I don't want to drop her no, name because no, I, oh, I mean, it's bad. so so you're struggling with that. Yeah. for a second year. Yeah. So what a horrible thing happened in third year. I'm just wondering. If Nothing. Was, okay, okay. Except that you yeah. were like just, just trying to stay well, uh, a part of the school. Third year, my well, yeah, second year they were really trying to kick me out at the end of second year, but they couldn't because I was a good student. And I think it's a bit different now. I think they've just kicked you out now. But at the time, they didn't. I don't know because I always felt like you uh, went to the end, right? I went to the end, but I was always skin of the teeth. Me like, too. I think every time I sat down in in my like. My interview at Christmas and at the end of the end of the year, they were all, they were like, "We think you should leave," and I would be like, "No, I'm not going." I know. And it was like every every year, like I walk in, I'd be like, "We're gonna have this conversation again. What am I gonna say?" And then like they'd have the conversation, "We think you should leave," and then I would like, just yeah, the fingernails, I'd be I'd be in. Yeah. Somehow I had my mother was a child psychologist, and she knew a lot of psychology. Found me a really good therapist, 
And between second year and the summer between second year and third year, I was seeing, well, I was partly living in Toronto, partly living in Ottawa. I was seeing her and then having phone conversations. So Mm -hmm. chatting with her twice a week. And uh, I still see her on and off today, but she's never quite made the same drastic changes in my life Mm -hmm. as she did in those four months. I came back into second to third year with a different mindset and uh, they'd already made up their minds about me, so I didn't get any parts right. in any of the shows. No parts or no big like, parts? Like, two plays I had one word. Yeah. And, like, one word. Mm-hmm. And two plays I had one scene. So they were trying to kick you out by, by not casting. Yeah. But I did, but I was becoming better. And Peter Wilde, the beginning of third year, when I finally seen the actor in mm-hmm. you. And I did a vocal mask that's still one of my best works that... Uh, Dorothy Ward pulled me aside and said, my 13 years of being in this school, this is one of the only ones I'll never forget. Mm. And uh, I was getting, you know, Todd Hammond, give me thumbs up. I did something in that vocal mask that made the teachers go. Yeah. Yeah, okay. We undermined her. But I had really changed my, uh, but I still couldn't cry. Like, I didn't cry once in theater school. I was one of those people. That's okay, I didn't cry. I didn't, I didn't cry. cry. All these people having breakdowns, I'm like, I am probably should be the one with the most reason to break I, down, but I'd never yeah, cry. I, I saw lots of people working really hard at crying, and I was always <laughs> like, oh, fortunately for me, I don't get cast in that shit, so I'm okay. <laughs> don't need to cry. Couldn't cry. <laughs> oh, um, boy. So when you got out of theater school, what was your perception of, of how things were going to go for you, like, or, and how what, what actually happened? I was not sure how things were going to go. <laughs> like I, well, I mean, that is bizarre, but like, what was your plan going out? Right, yeah. So I went right to Second City. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. Yeah, I, well, I got right into a restaurant job, which I think is actually very not good to get swept up in big time restaurant jobs. I think if you work in a small restaurant, you work like four to ten in a small little dime, you know, fancy restaurant and whatnot, it's okay. But when you're working in the big Restaurants, I worked at Hemingway's, and you're working till three, yeah. and you're starting at four in the afternoon. I think yeah. it it sucks the... Oh, it does suck everything. Yeah, and I do yeah. get worried with artists that do it, because I don't think you can create and, and be on top of your career in the way that, that, especially at a young age, that you should be. You know, I, I feel like I wasted all my years in Hemingway's. Do you, like, how long were you at Hemingway's? Two years. Two years? Do you feel like, like, do you just not have the energy for creative stuff? Yeah, you kind, you... Of, you kind of audition... Uh, when you get one mm-hmm. and uh, you know it was a different time back then than it is now people friends weren't quite grabbing each other in quite the same way to just go let's create I mean yeah. it's still happening but now it's like yeah now it's all over oh, it's the all over the place yeah. it's a very trendy thing to do we have iPhones we can make movies on, yeah. uh, we, it's it's much easier um, but I didn't yeah I just it was you know you wake up at 10 11 and you also you end up it, with a group of young 20-year-olds in a restaurant, you end up partying. Yeah, you end up, you, you leave work at three and then you, you go have, drinking or whatever and yeah. then you sleep until 10. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And you, yeah. you're like, oh, if I have an audition, I'll get up. Yeah. But otherwise, I'll just sleep until it's time to do work. Yeah. But that, like, lifestyle of just auditioning and then working. It creative out of you. Of it course. does. But that's in the same way that, like, a day job would, would suck that out of you. There, For sure. Like, it's if you hard had, to know. If you had, like... A day job where you went to, you know, you did an office job. You'd have the same. You'd have kind the same thing. trouble if you're yeah. working nine to five at a yeah. temp job and then yeah. trying to come home and, and like create a thing. Yeah, it's tough. Um, it's not an easy. What was your first? Your first? Uh, do you remember your first acting gig out of of theater school? Yeah, my first official acting gig was Strip Magnet on the Island, mm-hmm. the kid shows on the island. Okay. I did that summer of 
2002. And then that summer, I got cast in Tony and Tina's wedding okay. at Second City. And, and I had been right away when you asked, I went into the Second City classes. Mm-hmm. And so I did, I was doing their conservatory program and getting right. like really into that world, in the comedy world, and then got hired in Tony and Tina's that summer when I was on the island. When did you meet Richard Bone? Right. So I met him a year later. Okay. So, yeah, 2003? Before I went to Florida? No. Or was it 2004? Do you remember when? Would you remember this? I don't know. I don't remember. What were you, what were you doing? Okay, I always have to track my... How did you meet, how did you my... meet Richard? I'm, I oh, right. Because I don't think I met you until after uh, the Shakespeare in, in Brampton. Right, you were in Comedy of Errors. No, no you were wasn't. only in Macbeth. I wasn't. No, it wasn't Comedy of Errors. I, okay, so some, we graduated summer 2001. Yeah. Summer 2002, I did Shrimp Magnet. Then I did Tony and Tina's. Mm-hmm. 2003, uh, Leslie, Leslie Seiler had become mm-hmm. a very good friend of mine. And she, Richard was looking for a fringe actor yes. for 2013 right. 2003 zig zig ha right and that i auditioned for and mm-hmm. got the part okay so it was the summer 2003 where i did fringe mm-hmm. and got to know richard yeah and then i went to florida for six months and then when i came back um the next year he cast me in comedy veras right. brampton yes and from there the the real sort of yeah. friendship bond so built the the now one of the things it's sort of, I mean, you and I know each other because of Richard and Keystone Theater yeah. and all that stuff. But Keystone Theater, its birth kind of happens at that that Comedy of Errors because you're doing this this silent film bit. Yes. And, or you do like this little Chaplin bit. And that sort of, that sort of um, makes it, that sort of becomes like the... The, the thing the, that led the whole thing. The, yeah. Um... Had you done physical theater before that? Or Yes, I had. Okay. Well, I had, was, I was saying my, um, in high school I did Arlecchino mm-hmm. in, uh, I did Arlecchino in that Fringe show. And yeah. uh, we had two teachers in our high school in Canterbury that had gone to La Coque or, mm-hmm. or knew the styles. One had definitely, the other one I think had, because of Odyssey. So we had two very physical theaters. So a lot of people yeah. that come out of Canterbury mm-hmm. are actually very... Uh, physical theater based right. you know and a lot of people who've toured Swiss Cirque have come from Canterbury and and so and in third year at George Brown I really everyone said it when we were doing Comedia it was like boof Dana's yeah. come out of the woodwork yeah. um, and so I knew it was sort of my element and then we did Chaplin and I didn't know much about Chaplin before then we had this little intro where I did it and I loved it. Richard mm-hmm. loved it. And did you had you did you watch Chaplin before you did? Did you? I, I, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I hadn't watched it years before, but then I started to study him in order to do yeah. this little opening, yeah. and and we felt really good about it. I mm. really, to this day, I wish I could recreate it. I mm. loved it. It was so good. Yeah. And then I s- sat Richard down somewhere in the six months after, or maybe a couple months after, and was like, "Let's do something with this." Yeah. Because I was craving. I wasn't your typical actor. It wasn't just coming to me. The big theaters were not right. casting me, or the even TV and film was not yeah. casting me. You know, I was like, okay, what am I gonna do? Mm-hmm. And yeah. The, yeah. Well, I mean, that's. I mean, everybody at a certain point. I mean, there's only so much work for everyone, 
And everybody reaches that point where you're like, what am I going to do? Yeah. And you either find a thing to do or you go get an office job and don't ever do it again. Yeah, kind of. Or you kind of find a middle ground. Like you could. Like me. Yeah. But, um, I mean, you guys had that conversation. You sort of talked about creating a show in this, this, this style. And then we had to create a whole... I know. We had to figure out how do you do silent film on stage. Yeah. And that took ages. Um, but then, like, is there something that you've learned through work with Keystone that you don't think you would have learned otherwise? Oh, a million things. For sure. I mean, one of the things I learned with Keystone is now when I'm making movies or, or whatever I'm doing now, the collaboration yeah. and the understanding of how, how the theater industry works, bringing it over into how the, you know, even t- uh, t- in film works has been huge. If yeah. I hadn't been in charge of of creating and having to self-produce and, and trying to figure out my fundraising skills, like my understanding of how to make a fundraiser work, mm-hmm. my understanding of how a theater works. Um, I'm assistant directing at the Kids Opera now and uh, understanding staging mm-hmm. in a way that mm-hmm. I don't think I would have. And now, in the last couple of years, I book a lot more than I ever did before. Right. And I think that that has a lot to do with just years and years and years of working away on my own stuff yeah. and just being like, okay, no one's hiring me. I'll do it myself. I'll do it myself. Yeah. I'll do it myself. Oh, wait, finally, someone's hiring me. But isn't that the new, that's kind of the new path to theater success Yeah, is, is kind of uh, do it yourself until people take notice. Do it right? yourself. And, and movies too. Uh, m- uh, my roommate is a TV writer and, we were watching The OA, mm-hmm. that new show. Have you watched it? I haven't watched it yet. So the lead actress in that was uh, had no career, and she wrote two feature films that she's totally self-produced and starred in, um, and just sent them out to festivals. And through that, eventually, it's like now she has her own TV show. Right. You know, it's not quite... What Lena did, which is do, but it was just make work, make work, make work. Some all of a sudden somebody notices, yeah. and it's the same in theater too. Yeah. All, and, and your skill set flies through oh, the roof without even absolutely. knowing it. You know, it's interesting because the number of people that I've spoken to on this when I'm doing this podcast who are who've self-produced and their path to where they are now is through self-produce, yeah. self-production. I'm only in. 60 some odd episodes I've spoken to three people who don't who didn't follow that path wow who three really people just whose, whose career followed that mostly traditional path of audition get the job yeah. audition get the job yeah. Um, yeah and most everybody else is a self producer which is a fascinating thing to, to think about that so many people who are doing some really amazing work are uh, actors slash something yeah. They're creating something. Well, and I think that once you've been acting for long enough, you want to have a larger hand in the in the in the product anyway. And mm-hmm. you know, you're you're more curious as to how I kinda think there's two there's two kinds of actors. There's mm. there's the actor who just wants to give themselves to the part mm-hmm. and like they flourish in a setting where all they have to do is play that part, and that's the only thing they have to they have to work on. Yeah, there are certainly actors, and that becomes the most important thing. And then there are actors who who 
do who do want to do other things. Yeah, they're both they're both completely valid. And they're both, both completely they're valid. Both, uh, some interesting paths to success. Yeah, but I sort of gradu- uh, gravitate towards the uh, the doing more than one thing and the yeah. wanting to to do to do so much more. Well, and and you have to be very very lucky to just be, or very, very talented to be the actor that doesn't have to do anything else. Even if you're talented, you still you, have to be lucky. Yeah, you have I to know, be lucky. I know yeah. a lot of really talented actors they, and they who still have to. Yeah. Are, are, may have, some of them have given up. Yeah. Like some really talented folks because they just couldn't, like I was speaking to somebody a while ago, I just ran into them on the street and they gave it up because they were like, I actually don't have a life as an actor. All of my waking hours are spent looking, like, researching who's their director of this, who, what's their season, what's the role for me, like, how can I do this? Yeah. And that becomes their whole life, and I don't live, which was a, a strange thing. No, it's very true. It can be all-consuming. Yeah. Um, so, <clears throat> now, did you, did you do Hogtown this summer? I didn't do it this summer because I was in Odyssey, but I did last January. You did it last January, so you were part of the, the first yeah. the first group. Um, now, Hogtown was this uh, uh, Sleep No More-style, immersive... Uh, production that happened in Toronto um, first in January in the winter and then uh, again in the summer. Um, When you were approaching this the first time, um, what did that feel like? Like the idea of doing this immersive thing uh, where people could be anywhere or come in the middle or whatever. I thought, did you see it? I didn't get a chance to Um, see it, no. I thought it was so awesome. I had such a fun time um doing it like it was it was so neat because it was i don't know you just sort of walked in and we had created a world mm. we created a variety of characters in a, in a world in 1920s where they all had their own story yeah. and it was very exciting i mean i'm working with the same group right now and on a different immersive show but that idea of trying to put it together was insane yeah. and you know sam rosenthal is a director who's amazing he realized, though, that, oh, I'm directing four times a regular play. Yeah. Because there's four scenes happening at once. And uh, there wasn't enough time to give each scene the regular scene study sort of, you know, a scene would get like an hour. And yeah. be like, I got to move on. Yeah. Because there's 200 pages to this. Story. Oh, 200 250 pages. more. Because for, yeah. for Drew, who wrote it, he had to write four times the play. Right, of course. You know, so it was, it was pretty epic, but. The cast was so fun, and you know they may not have liked it exactly, but we we were creating our own relationships going through the house because there was a lot of time that I didn't have specific scenes. Um, you know, I had to be in the parlor at this time or this time. Then there'd be time in between where I would just walk through this rock, mm. and we had created such character. a world, yeah, yeah that yeah. it was like, oh, I'd see the butler, and I've created a special dynamic with the butler from my character and his yeah. character, and that was really fun. And it's like, oh, there's the man playing my dad. Mm. We don't even have an official scene, but we can. It was really, yeah, it was really cool. It's really fun. I really hope it gets a chance. Were you, were you, like, when you had to perform that? I mean, and this is not like there is no separation between the actor and the audience mm-hmm. when you're doing this. Was that? How did that feel going going into that? Like the audience member could interact with you in a way that you don't don't expect, or can do something that, like, how is it? It wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't a big shock for me. I think it was for quite a few actors. For me, I had I started with Tony and Tina's at a very young age, Mm -hmm. 
where even though you really did you ever see that show? I know. I've you heard re- a lot about it. Yeah, that. you really are talking to the audience. Mm-hmm. You know, you're improvising yeah. throughout. You're making conversation uh, in character. You're creating improv. Um, and then I've done so much murder mystery dinner theater mm-hmm. as characters. I've gotten very comfortable to acting like a second um, moment beside. Now, this play, obviously, we were not supposed to interact with the audience. They're supposed to just be watching. Well, they're, they're, we're not, not like, sort of like, hi. Yeah, you want they're to sort of sort stay of like, with the world. But right. they might be standing right... You might say a quick thing like, hello, I'm Ronnie. Yeah. But you're not supposed to be telling them stories right. the way you would in a murder mystery. Right. But I felt very comfortable. Right. For me, I kind of get off on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But, uh, I, you know, for... A, for more traditional actors that haven't had as much experience in that sort of comedy world, yeah. it was a bit more jarring. I, I, I can it. see it would be, I mean, it's hard enough, like, if you work in a really intimate space, like, I had a friend who was working in the Red Sand Castle doing a show. Oh, yeah. This, like, really personal thing they were doing, and I was like, do you realize how close that audience is? Yeah. Like, yeah. you're used to, like, not seeing the audience. You cannot see the audience they're gonna be right there and I was like so you're here they're gonna be here you're practically on them if you stand there so but like and that's like it's a crazy thing but yep. here they're all around you they're There's right around you separation between no them. and no. that's that can be a scary thing I imagine well when sometimes when someone you really know is there you <laughs> like my boyfriend at the time you came know, and I was like I can't them. even look yeah, at him I could no. see the half smile on his yeah, face yeah, yeah. and it was like oh no, no. Now, that's but, the problem with, like, seeing people you know. In oh, the yeah. Audience. You're just like, I can't even. I, I can't even. Um, so you, you, the, you're you working with, with the, the Hogtown Collective again? We are. Yeah. And now this one that it's doing, I mean, it's already sold out. Oh, yeah. You've I mean, heard that already. Heard this. Yeah, you yeah. looked it up. It's already no, sold no, Sam, out. Uh, I follow Sam on Facebook. Oh, Sam nice. Sam and I are old friends. Oh, great. So... Like I see that, and it's like it's already it's already sold it's out. It's already sold out. And it's only for it was only for one week. It's one week, yeah. And this one is Dan Fox Dance, and it's set in an, uh, an insane asylum. Yeah, nineteen eighteen insane asylum. Okay, that's that's got. I mean, go, to go from a speakeasy is one kind of world, but in like an eighteen hundreds like insane asylum is completely different. Completely different. It's a <laughs> lot darker. Yeah, I'll bet it is. I'll bet it is. Um, so, is this one? There are lessons to be learned from that first production and to yeah. to realize like how much there is. Is there more time for rehearsal this time or is it we, still just as... We gave each other one more week of rehearsal mm-hmm. and we're realizing it can't quite be immersive in the same way as Hogtown because we've picked an actual proscenium play. Mm-hmm. So we need to follow the through line of the right. character. So if you've ever seen... Did you see Dining Room at the Campbell House? The no. back when... So it's more, the, most, the audience is split up a couple times, mm-hmm. but they'll go back and forth, so they'll see everything. But most of the time, the audience is following um, them through the, the lead character's okay. story through the house. Mm-hmm. But there is a pre-show where the audience is sort of free to wander. And, you know, Sam was smart. He gave himself three weeks. But because we haven't wanted to, anyone to lose money, because this is a profit share. Of course, yeah. Everyone has kept their jobs. Like, right. I'm doing another show right now. And uh, so it's been really hard to get everyone together. That is, that is one of the challenges to like, yeah. theater where, you know, you're kind of at the mercy of everybody's schedule. schedule. It's been a bit crazy. Yeah. What's, the, what's the other gig that you're doing? I'm assistant directing at the Kids Opera, the Canadian Children's Opera. Uh, how, company, how? Of course. When did, you, when did you start working with the opera? Uh, 2009. I did clown acrobatics in La Boheme. And then somehow this is my fifth opera I've worked on. Okay. 
when so now weird. any of the things that you've done have you been you haven't been singing in no show? but in valkyrie the valkyrie i was the stunt valkyrie sister and <laughs> so what is this what is it what is a stunt valkyrie so sister there's eight here? of them uh-huh. But one of this is Adam Agoyan's show too, which was awesome. One of them was backstage singing in a pylon while I was lip syncing way up, up at the top of the stage, like climbing up these, um, uh-huh. whatever those things are called, uh, these construction site type things. What yeah, are they scaffold. called? Scaffolding yeah. and climbing across bridges and scaffolding with dead bodies. Okay. And then I would open my mouth and look at the Four Seasons and lip sync what they were saying. <laughs> it's like, I'm like the worst singer in the world. It was such a dream come true. <laughs> it's great. Did anybody say, you have such a wonderful voice. Well, uh, yeah. I mean, nobody knew I existed because oh. they had no idea there was a stunt. Oh, because you were only came on for... Like, you only came on for that Ron shit, song right. and looked like one of the sisters. And Richard oh, Azuyan even said, oh my God, those Valkyrie sisters were so amazing. They were climbing all over the set. And I was like, no. No, that's me. Yeah. Take your credit. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, credit. Um, uh, credit. So, I mean, you've, you've, you've had, uh, you've, like, there's a lot that's happened. You've gone through a whole lot of stuff early in your yeah. life and, and all this sort of stuff from theater school to now. Um, I don't know about you, but about five years ago, uh, I fought back on theater school and there were so many things that suddenly, like, made sense to me that I suddenly was like, oh, now I understand all of that shit that I hated. Yeah. And I wish I could do that again. I wish I could go back yeah. now and like get out of it. But like, you can't do that. You can't. But, but um, so many things like clicked for me, me too. later on. Me too. Nothing clicked for me at the time. No, but like you, you suddenly realized some of the stuff that they were trying to trying to teach you. Can you can you think about some of those things that, that clicked for you? Oh my god. I think stillness. Mm-hmm. I think like the true, true sense of of the the typical acting is reacting, but mm-hmm. like really that that sense of just sort of being present. Yeah. And you know, theater school talked about it all the time. That's what Zona Silence was about. Yeah. That's what all that stuff was about. But I think even if I hadn't gone through the traumas, I mm-hmm. think it just had to have been experienced and learned. Yeah. Like it yeah, just. I think so. It, I, think so. I know three weeks is in a sense, but I get when Peter said, "Ideally, you do this for f- four or five months." He said it yeah. was such a simple exercise, but it is. It's one of those things that when I really started to feel it, I was like, "Oh, this yeah. is this is it." I, I wish I understood it. more about sil- about silence and stillness. I know. But I was too young, and I thought you had to do things. Well, that's why we both you know. got into physical theater. That's right. Well, you know, the funny thing is that when Richard was like, "I want you to do this thing," I was like, "Richard, I'm not, I'm not a physical theater guy. I can't, I can't do this." And he was like, "Yeah, I, th- I think you can." And well, an actual stillness was part, was so much of your beauty in the physical theater. World. I mean, that's that's one of the things that that, that Joe was always good for. Yeah, uh, and that was was stillness. But some of the stuff that I, that clicked for me clicked because of Keystone Theater. Yeah, me too. And because of like being present and, and how present you have to be in that. Yeah. Because the one thing that I I can say that I learned from Keystone Theater, among all of the things that I learned from Keystone Theater, is that you uh, the audience only knows what they know. Yeah. The backstory is great for you, but it doesn't mean shit to them if they can't no. see it. 
like being able to tell stories and just with what you have on the stage because since we can't give them a backstory in silent the silent film stuff like we can only go with like whatever they can see right now yeah which is fascinating well it made you be really present and what something Jeanette in particular did which yeah. yeah uh when we were first creating last man on earth and she made us talk out our thoughts. Mm, yeah. That one is really stuck with me because yeah. I, every, and that's why I think that pie scene became so, every moment has been deeply thought out because yeah. she made us speak it. So yeah. everything comes with a thought. Yeah. Which to this day is why I think I can just pop that piece up and, yeah. and bring it back because it's, you know. Because you still remember what the thoughts are. Yeah. And it's yeah. that specificness too that they talked about in theater school that I didn't quite get that. Oh, yeah, if no, you just I get really, I, really specific about all this, then everything actually kind of falls into place. Yeah, I think you and I both had the same, because I didn't really get specificity until Keystone Theater. Yeah, me neither. I really didn't get and not until how specific you have to get oh, boy. in order to make it work. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, I've learned so much through through Keystone and like uh, the importance of that sort of stuff. That It's, it's kind of fascinating mm-hmm. to think of all of those things that I kind of wish I'd learned or realized I was learning when I was in theater school. Oh my gosh, it's such a just a mess. It's so much happening at once. <laughs> well, I mean that is I mean that is one of the things about about theater school is that it is all very like I think they want to keep you off balance. Well, the biggest thing I do take away and I, I still don't think I would have done it any differently, but I get what they say. They say, don't come straight from theater school from high school. From high school, no. Take some time. I get it. Yeah, I, I do, do get it. Nobody you, listens. Like nobody, nobody listens. listens. And I'm still, through. even knowing the knowledge I know now, I'm not sure I would still listen. I, just, <laughs> you know, there's the fear of like coming out of high school and like, what do you do? You're going to get a job and then you're going to get a job and you're like, I have money. I like having money. Why am I going go to go to theater school? I've got money. But then you've got to, you're like, you could lose that hunger when you come out of exactly. theater school. Exactly. You out of high school, you kind of just want to. You want to keep need going. To just dive in, unless right? you're going to travel for a year. I think otherwise, if you, if you settle to a life without, it, yeah, yeah, it'd be really easy right out of right out of, of high school to just get a job and be like, this is what I can do. Yeah, and uh, you, you sort know, of lose years down the, the road, goal. be like, oh wait, I used to like this thing. No, you know? gosh, not. Yeah, no, I, uh, I, I, I think that I uh, like. I get why they say it. I totally get why they say it. Why they say it. Because I would have come at it from a completely different different place. Yeah. Oh, if I yeah. I waited a year to go to the theaters. Yeah, it may have been needed like four years. Yeah. <laughs> it's really messed up. Peter Wilde always said, always used to say, you should have come to me when you were 30. I know. He probably wishes he could train everyone at 30. He loves his students. He loves when his students prove him wrong. Mm-hmm. It's ne- I've well, never I seen mean, a teacher I remember, like that. I remember, and I think it was Gold Fever. When we presented that for the first time at um, uh, Clown Festival, and he came, and I remember him like so complimentary towards you, and I remember you went, "Where was this when I was in theater school?" Yeah, he was. It was like he loved it, and he was like, he just and and to have that. The thing is that I think I was so glad that I didn't. I'm kind of glad I didn't get that. For the first like five years after theater school, because mm-hmm. because I was trying so hard to impress him, yeah. That I think if I'd gotten that, it would have ruined me forever. But to not get that for like thirty years, and then to like find finally out get that, it, 
find out because I don't think he ever actually said it to me, but I, I heard like Peter's a big fan of yours, and I'm like, yeah. Peter Peter Wild, yeah, a big fan it's of a mine, big fan of Keystone, yeah, yeah, I'm a big fan of all of that. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, it, I think there is like cause there's to toot our own horn. There's nothing like it, right? There's no. no. Nobody's doing that. And, and I, I actually thought that after we did our Fringe tour that everybody would be doing it. I thought that we'd like look at the following year that everybody would be like silent films. No film, one is still doing it. Doing it. Yeah. It's still our, or at least here, it's still our little gem. Yeah. And I do think, you know, there's obviously the, the few that, that come so talented, but I think it really is learned. And I think that's what's so exciting for Peter mm-hmm. is to watch these yeah. people understand it in a yeah. different way well that's got to be grow. really gratifying to like oh. not see somebody for like 20 30 years and then see something that they've done and realize that all that stuff that you were trying to get them to understand when they were 18 19 <laughs> 20 okay. is now starting to to come in it's like right life right yeah. i've just had these new realizations about relationships yeah. i'm like go people are telling me this <laughs> well because you know what you're not you're not you're not receptive to that kind of thing at a certain age, which is why he wants you to come after like a year or two. Yeah, years. he wants I, you to grow. You know, he wants you to grow a bit, and, and nobody does because everybody's like, "No, I don't want to grow." I, I want to be an be actor. actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah which totally. This is like one of those things. Um, what is? I mean, if you look at you know all the stuff that you've done over the years, um, can you point at like a thing that you've? If you were to go back in in time and talk to Dana going into theater school just before she went in, is there something you'd want her to know? Yes. Well, one of the major things is don't be so upset if you, if you don't get it right away. It all, it'll, exactly what we talked about. And the other one is don't let anyone tell you you're not one. Mm-hmm. You're not an actor. Yeah. I was called, Graham Harley called me intellectually and emotionally thin, said I'd never be an actor. And it destroyed me. And if I could go back in time and just be like, I'm paying you to teach me mm-hmm. how to act. I'm not interested in hearing whether or not you think I am one. Yeah. You know, and, and like all the way through, that's the one thing I'd say. Don't, nobody can tell you what yeah. you want or want. Just can't well, because nobody can tell you what you're going to be. Right? No one nobody knows. can tell you. Like once you're out of theater school and, and you know what, some of the, you know, we all had in our theater school classes, everybody had the gold, we call them the golden children. I don't know if you guys did. Oh, so. yeah, we had our but Everybody had our the golden favorites. children, and some of them are still working, and some of them are not. And yep. nobody can tell what, who's going who's gonna to make it and who like who's going to keep doing it. There are people who were so fucking talented, so talented, who just Me too. don't I do it anymore. Yeah, and... And and one, per, you know, who cares if Graham Harley till the end of time never thought I was a good actor? There are other people that think I am, yeah. you know? It's just, oh, yeah, this was a thing that uh, Chris Gibbs really taught me, and I put this on Facebook once. Just because the little people aren't interested in you doesn't mean the big people won't mm-hmm. be either. And yeah. he told me a story of he couldn't get an audition in the city. People weren't very interested in him. These casting directors wouldn't see him, blah, 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 blah. His agent finally pushed for him to send a self-tape to Vancouver, and he got a, a real substantial part in a Spielberg film. Mm-hmm. You know, it was like Spielberg had more interest in yeah. him than any of the casting directors in Toronto, you yeah. know? And it's, and that was what he said to him. He said, just because the little people aren't interested doesn't mean the big ones won't be yeah. either. And um, that just really struck me. That they're just... yeah. It's there's so many people. Yeah, because you don't know. You don't know. I 
Yeah, I still kind of wish, because I don't know what they're what they're doing now, and I, you know, some people are tired of hearing me say this, but I wish that we talked more about indie theater when I was in theater school. Oh, me too. That it was a thing, like if there being a production course or something. Like the business it, of acting was just about taxes. For well, the me. business of acting, the business of acting was I don't know, I remember the taxes part, but it was about I remember the you know get your you know get how to get the agent. Yeah. And I hated their method, but anyway, like all of these things, but um. Even though it was there, like they had some important information, but I wish that there was a, yeah. a this is how you become, this is how you self-produce because you're going to need to. Yeah. But at the time, they weren't prepared. No, and they're doing that. more of that now. They've brought in Julie to talk about self-producing. Mm-hmm. They weren't doing any of that. They were shaping their actors only for Strefford. And I mm-hmm. think when you look, you know, I think only one person from my class has ever even been to Stratford mm-hmm. I think she was in Stratford for a year yeah. you know it's like that's not where most of these artists are going to go no. they're going to go all sorts of different routes including yeah. creating their own theater companies yeah. and uh, it's, I think it's a very important thing yeah but it just wasn't on the radar then no it's know? a very different it's a really different industry the the yeah it's changed so much like I'm looking at, at some of the people who are super successful at least who, you know, I, I think of as, as really successful in the indie scene, yeah. for example. You think somebody like Rebecca Perry and, and yeah. some other folks. Oh, like real like, like they, fringe indie. You don't mean like storefront coal mine uh, indie. You but, you know, like, the thing is that storefront indie, like like Rebecca uh, did some of her shows. That's true. At, she did at, it at, at storefront. storefront. Yeah. It's like it all crosses over, right? Yeah, it's all. So indie, indie starts at the fringe and, and really fringe was the birthplace of indie. Yeah. And then it just sort of uh, expanded from To there. all these. And yeah. and now there's not really a blur. I mean, Ted Dykstra has created his own indie theater, which yeah. is indie, you yeah. know, and he's... And but what is, what is it? You know what? I think that what is indie is like indie is not Mervish and not Pasmarai, Factory, and Tarragon. Anything and Can Stage like, and, and Soul Pepper. And Soul Pepper. Everything else is fair game. Yeah. Right? Everything else... Kind of. It's kind of sad that we've lost a bunch of spaces this year, though. Like, there's like twelve spaces well, in the last. Well, Crow's Theater has just built their it space. Just opened, and but storefronts closed. I know. And, like all all these places space. are are closing down. What else is closing? Well, the unit. unit oh, oh, unit one or two. I thought they found down. another space. Yeah. I don't know if they like they lost that space, which was a great space. It for was them. a great space. Like, there's all these all these things happening. I just. It is a bit of a, get, yeah. Storefront was a bummer, but they'll find a new space. Yeah. I'm sure. Well, they're that. getting a. I mean, they've. Closing. I mean, I don't want to. I don't want to say for sure, but clo- having to close might have been like one of the best things that happened for them in terms of funding and stuff like that, because everybody sort of rallied around yeah. them and yeah. stuff like that. Um, you got? Are you? Are you? Are you on the on the internet? On the twitters? The, yeah. the websites and stuff. What do you got? What do you got? I got my Facebook. I got at Dana Fradkin Twitter. Mm-hmm. I've got at Dana Fradkin Instagram, which I just got. Um, Dana Fradkin at Workbook Live. This is my website. This is the website through Casting Workbook IMDb page. Um, yeah, I've got a fitness website. Too. Fitness website. Because well, yeah. you, I, I mean, this is like one trainer. of the few times I've seen you not stretching or doing push-ups, <laughs> which is like a thing that you do. Like you're sort of hanging around, you're doing like like push-ups, sit-ups, you all kinds of stuff. So um, it doesn't make for good audio, but um, like. <laughs> So you also do, like, fitness training? Yeah, I do personal training, mm-hmm. just for about five clients a week, and mm-hmm. try to keep myself in shape. Um, 
Yeah, and that's good. That's a, it's a nice part-time job to have beside acting. Mm, yeah. Much better than the restaurant industry. Well, the restaurant industry, like we were saying, will run you down. It'll run you down. You know, when I worked in a restaurant on Bay Street where it was just 4 to 10, mm-hmm. it's not as bad. Yeah. Four nights a week. Right, but, but that's still... Still, I don't want to do it anymore, but, you know, if you are going to be in that industry, it's not a, it's not a bad way to no, do it. I think where people, like, when, it, when you're, like, on your feet from, like, 4 until 3 in the morning and then... You go out drinking and then... You're drained. Yeah. By the time you get home... Yeah, I mean, when I was working in bars, it was the same kind of thing. Just like... I mean, it didn't start that long, but it's like you finish your day at like... Oh. Three... Like, you get home at like three. Yeah. Maybe you go out for a bite after. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or you have a bite at home. Exhausting. Four by the time you go to bed. Yeah. That's like... And then you're, you sleep until like noon. Yeah, noon. Yeah. And there's the day. Like, how would you Especially if you have to go back to work at four. Yeah. And yeah. Um, so this has been a lot of fun. I want to thank yeah. you for, for coming on. Thank you. Thank you for having me.